So we've been talking for several weeks here about the nature of the God that, that we serve. What kind of God is he? I mean, is he legalistic? Is he judgmental? How does he respond to us when we sin? Uh, Jeremy asked the question a couple weeks ago, is he a God that we can depend on? And of course, the answer to that was yes. By the way, I don't know where he got his material. I didn't ask him, but I know that we have been absolutely robbing John Ortberg blind, uh, you know, since, since we started this series. And I want to do at least one more question concerning his nature, maybe more after that. But I want to ask the question this morning, is God angry? Because there's a lot of nasty stuff going on. Is he mad? Is he, is he a bully? When I was in the seventh grade, we had a kid. I won't tell you his name because he's still alive, and I'm still a little afraid of him. We called him Bubba, okay? Bubba was supposed to be in the ninth grade, not the seventh grade. Bubba was big. Bubba was mean. Bubba was angry all the time, and Bubba didn't just pick on us seventh graders. He beat on us. Now, I've told you before, I can't wait for you to meet my dad because he was so special. He was so kind and so gentle and so wise that I was a little shocked when the advice he gave me when I came to him about the seventh or eighth time over Bubba, he said, bust him. And I said, excuse me? He said, pop him. Hit him right in the nose till his eyes water and it turns to blood. Bubba will stop, my dad said. Bubba will never bother you again, my dad said. Bubba will be surprised, my dad said. He was right on two or three of those accounts. Bubba was surprised. He was shocked that somebody would hit him back. And and, uh, uh, Bubba never bothered me again. But Bubba did not stop. Bubba beat me like I'd never been. I think the only other time I got beat worse than that was Chuck Houston two years later, and I had that coming. I'll tell you that story another time. But when I went home all beat up, my dad said, oops, I was afraid that would happen. So I was even more upset with him. But he said, he'll never bother you again. And I was thinking about that story as I was putting this together because, oddly enough, a lot of people see God like that. It's just a big, mean bully. Gary Larson had a cartoon in one of the Far Sides years ago where he had God sitting in a computer, and there was a guy walking down the street with a piano suspended over the top of him, and God had his finger on the smite button. Is he going to smite this guy or not? There was a, a very deep theological movie that came out several years ago with Jim Carrey. It would call <laughs> Bruce Almighty. Now, I don't recommend that movie. I thought personally it was blasphemous. But in that movie, he got upset with God, and he said, smite me, O great smiter. Smite me. And I think that's how people see God. I really do. There, there's a term for that, an expression in the insurance business. Anytime there's a flood or a tornado or a hurricane or what happened to us, last Monday night in the middle of the night, a tree came down, went through the west side of our house, put a hole in our house and a little mess on the roof. You know what we call those things? Those are acts of God. Acts of God. How do you think God feels about that? Because look, other things happen in nature, like a beautiful sunset and a gentle rain, and a, and a refreshing breeze. We don't call those acts of God, just the destructive mean stuff. Richard Dawkins believes very strongly that Christianity is stupid and that the God of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, is a very bad person. And he wrote a book called The God Delusion, and this is just one segment. He says he's jealous and proud of it, petty, unjust, unforgiving. He's a control freak, vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleansing, a myogenistic, homophobic, racist, genocidal, megalomaniac, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. And then it gets nasty. And you read that and you think, wow, that's terrible. But it's, listen to me, it's not just atheists who have these thoughts. It's seekers who are wondering, what kind of God is this with all this stuff going on around us? And Christians 
Read some of the stories in the Old Testament, and we see places where God actually tells Israel to wipe out a, com a whole community, kill everything, men, women, children, dogs, cats, everything. Or we hear God say, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. Or we read a passage where it seems like he actually takes somebody out, and it gets us to thinking, what kind of God do we serve? How do we square this with the God of the universe that is so loving? I'm telling you, this is important stuff we've been talking about, how you see God. For, for one thing, just for a, a quick example, if you think God's mean and a bully, you're never going to surrender to him. Are you kidding me? And, and you're not going to read some of the stories in the Old Testament because it will shake your faith. And you'll never be able to completely abandon to him. Why? Because you're afraid of him. He's a bully for heaven's sakes. Again, I, I don't want to make a book of this, but there's an awful lot at stake here. An awful lot at stake, how you and I view God. Is he mean? Is he, is he not? Is he happy? Is he sad? Is he angry? I want to ask a few questions, and then we're going to come down here to the table and do some pretty serious praying, I hope, this morning. Here's question number one. What does the God in the Bible mean when it talks about God being angry? I mean, get out of concordance. You're going to find several places in the Bible that talks about the anger of God. I'll, I'll read a couple. Numbers 32, 13. The Lord's anger burned against Israel because they were disobedient, and he made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Jeremy just talked about that a couple weeks ago. 40 years. That's a long time. He must have really been mad at him, eh? How about Job chapter 4, verse 9? He talks about evildoers like this. He says, by the breath of God they perish. Listen to this. And by the blast of his anger they come to an end. Pretty straight up stuff. Look, the Bible talks a lot about the anger of God. The Bible talks a lot about people being angry. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 9 says, anger res uh, res results or resides in the lap of a fool. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, be angry, but don't sin. Don't give the, the devil a foothold in your anger. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Okay, so if you don't hear anything else, <laughs> I want you to hear this this morning. We absolutely cannot equate the experience of human anger with the experience of God's anger. No way, no how, it's not even close to the same thing. We, we can't look at this and see God that way. It can't happen. By the way, do you know what you call a protein that has anger management issues? That would be amino acid. <laughs> when mom said that her son broke her glasses when he got mad, she said, I've never looked at him the same since. Come on, I thought that would be all the rage, you know what I'm talking about. Listen, what happens to us as people when we get angry? Physical stuff, lots of stuff. Our muscles get all tense. We got all tied up, you know, and we get headaches and we, our heart races and our blood pressure goes up and, and we get to surge of neurotransmitters that give us this great burst of energy and the madder we get, the more out of control we get. We talk about people just losing it, just having a mental breakdown, I mean, just flying off the handle. The, the part of your brain that controls your emotions is amygdala and, and when somebody has this kind of an anger attack, they call it an amygdala hijack. It's like your entire central nervous system gets hijacked by anger, and you can't even think straight. We, we have a superhero that actually has a complete body transformation when he gets mad. Who is it? It's the Hulk, yeah. Dr. Banner's a really nice guy, but don't make me angry. You wouldn't like it when I'm angry. So we watch movies like that, and we look about how we get mad at each other, and we've got to remember, in the ancient world, they saw the gods that way. They saw the gods with this unbelievable supernatural power, but with human characteristics. That's a terrible combination. 
You don't want to get mad at them. You don't want them mad at you. I mean, you, you read stories about Zeus. He had anger issues. And, and Thor, the guy with the hammer, he had huge anger issues. So again, the point is we cannot equate God's anger with people anger or supernatural superhero anger. It's completely different. For, for one thing, God's completely different. God's perfect. He never misspeaks. He never misacts. Everything he does is perfect. It's always perfectly fair. And the other big thing is God is spirit. That's a huge dimension about him. He doesn't have a body that loses control. His heart rate doesn't race. His blood pressure doesn't boil over. His central nervous system doesn't get attacked. He doesn't fly off the handle. It's completely different. So when we talk about God being angry, we've got to look at another component that we're going to look at here in a minute. In fact, when you read about God's anger in the Bible over and over and over again, it's always the same thing. All the way back in Exodus chapter 30, verse 6, the Lord came down in a cloud, and he stood there with Moses and proclaimed his name the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger. We absolutely cannot forget that when we're talking about the anger of God. He's different than we are. He doesn't get mad like we do. He doesn't lose it like we do. And in fact, every time you read that passage, that phrase, uh, slow to anger, it is always followed, look it up, it is always followed by the next phrase, abounding in love. He's slow to anger and abounding in love. That's the God of the Bible. That's the God that you and I serve. He, he doesn't lose it. He doesn't melt down. He's not mean. He doesn't fly off the handle. It's different. We've got to start with that. Second question, why is it sometimes in the Bible then it seems like God's so mad he's flown off the handle? It does, doesn't it? Well, we talk about this all the time at South Union Christian Church. You've got to study to show yourself a proof. It's one thing to read the Bible. I want you to read the Bible, but you've got to study it sometime. Now, I'm going to give you a classic example from the Old Testament, 2 Samuel chapter 6. They're bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into Israel. It's been stolen from the Philistines, and they're bringing it back, the Ark of the Covenant, and there's this huge parade, 30,000 people, the Bible says, shows up, and they're dancing and parading. It's led by King David, and everybody's having a good time, and Uzzah is the guy in charge of it. They're pulling the Ark of the Covenant on a cart behind two oxen, and the strangest thing happens in verse 6. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out, took hold of the Ark of God because the, the, the oxen had stumbled. They stumbled. It looked like the Ark was going to fall off the cart, and so Uzzah reached up and touched it. Listen to this. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died beside the ark of God, killed him for touching the ark. David burned with anger, the Bible says, and to this day the place is called Peruz Uzzah, which interestingly enough means outbreak against Uzzah. We read that and we think, what in the world is that all about? This guy ought to be commended, not punished. He kept the ark from falling down the hill, for heaven's sakes. What in the world is God thinking? Got to study. You got to start looking around a little bit, because I guarantee you the people that wrote this passage of Scripture knew that God was slow to anger and abounding in love, and they knew what was going on here, and, and we got to study. Look, let's unpack this one just by way of example. God had given clear-cut instructions on how to move the ark of the covenant on numerous occasions. Now, you remember what the Ark of the Covenant was, right? You've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, and that's what it looked like, big golden box, and it had pieces of uh, 
the Ten Commandments in it, and some of the manna that Jeremy was talking about a couple weeks ago and the rod in it. But, but what you've got to understand, this was the most sacred thing in Israel. This represented the presence of God. There wasn't anything greater than this. And so listen to me carefully. How you handled the ark was teaching the people how you handled God. And again, in that culture, in the ancient world, if a king was going to be traveling from one place or another, it was always done, without exception, on a litter. You've seen it. The throne had rings through it with poles, and the, the noblemen would put the poles on their shoulder, and they would carry the king around. It was a huge honor. It was like saying, this is our king, man. We're teaching the people, this is how we revere our king. This is how we carry our king. We're all about our king. We would never, ever, ever, listen to me, we would never pull our king on a cart behind a team of oxen and donkey. We would just never do that. By the way, you know what a donkey says when you tell a stupid joke about him? Hee-haws. <laughs> I just had to do that. Listen to me carefully. About 30 years ago, Angie and I almost did something. We didn't. But we almost bought a leash for Ashley. We were at Disney World, and don't look at me like that. If you had a three-and-a-half-year-old like her, you'd have thought about buying one too, okay? And, you know, it's like for a dog, only it's for kids. But we didn't because leashes are not for kids. Strollers are for kids, handcuffs occasionally, but not, not leashes, okay? But my point is, it's not, how you, it's not how you honor the dignity of your child by putting them on a leash. And I'm just telling you, in the ancient world, it was very clear, you don't put the king on a cart. This was the huge, this is the biggest insult you could lay. And to make matters worse, remember why they lost the Ark of the Covenant to begin with? They'd mistreated it. They, they had, the, the other thing we've got to understand is, this is, this is brand new relationship. These are these are babies. They don't know much about God. He's bringing them along. He's teaching them. But what they know is the presence of God is in the Ark of the Covenant, and they're finding out if they take it into battle, they win the battle. So pretty soon they got careless about it, and they got thinking, well, this is our God in the pocket here. This is God under control. We, we can do whatever we want with Him. And He's teaching them, uh, painfully, quite honestly, that you cannot manipulate my power. I, I'm not under control for your use. This is not superstition. This is not idolatry. This is me. And remember, how they treated the Ark of the Covenant was teaching the people how to treat God. Is he something that can be manipulated and used, or is he a person that you're supposed to love and obey? And so when you start thinking about the anger of God, it actually turns around and you start thinking, not how is God treating me, but how am I treating God? See, the spin changes a little bit. And putting God in a cart in a, is a deliberate insult that will lead the rest of the people in the wrong way of thinking about the living God of the universe. So we had to teach them. Does that make sense? But we still got the question, was this just a little bit over the top? Couldn't he just beat him around a little bit, put him in timeout or something? Did they have to kill him? Because see, here's the deal. When we think about death, especially like something like this happened to Uzzah, we think this is the worst possible thing that could ever happen to somebody. Well, is it? Elijah, man, <clears throat> we, we did a 12-week series on him about 15 years ago, I think. I might look that up. Man, he just did some, what an amazing story, this character of Elijah in the Old Testament. But remember when he got to the place where Jezebel, Jezebel was, was chasing him, and, and he cried out the same as Bruce Almighty. He said, just smite me. Smite me, O grace, smite me. I've had enough. Just kill me. Take my life. Remember that whole story? Well, what happened was God put him into a deep sleep, and an angel woke him up, made him a little angel cake, and he went back to sleep. An angel woke him up, made him a little angel, another angel cake. And on the strength of two angel snacks now, 
He got up and ran 40 days and 40 nights. You try doing that with a hostess Greenfield Twinkie. It ain't going to happen. But that's just an amazing story. And if you've not looked it up in a while, you need to do that. But my point is this. Eventually, God ended Elijah's life. That's what he does for all of us. It's certainly one punishment. Oh my goodness, that's one of the most extraordinary stories in the Old Testament. A, a chariot of fire came down, picked him up, took him to heaven. We've got to remember that this death business, especially when God's involved, we start looking at it and we think, oh, that's a terrible thing because if we kill each other, it's like we're looking at each other and saying, I wish you didn't exist. But it's different with God. With God, he's not saying, I wish you didn't exist. He's saying, I'm going to relocate you. I always love the story of this florist. He sent flowers to a going away party, and he sent flowers to a funeral home, and he got them mixed up. And a guy at the going away party came in hot. He said, I cannot believe this. this is my best friend. I set this party up for him, and you sent me flowers. And instead of saying, good luck, it says, rest in peace. And the, funeral, or the florist said, I know, man, I'm sorry, I'm going to make it right, but I want you to think about the other side of this across town. They're having a funeral right now, and they're putting flowers on a casket that says, good luck in your new location. <laughs> Listen to me. This, this whole idea, I want to submit to you, this whole thing with Uzzah was not just a good teaching tool for Israel. This was homecoming for Uzzah. This was a relocation. And so if you and I really believe that God is slow to anger, and abounding in love, and we believe that, then whatever he does, in life or death, is the best for us, because he's loving. He's a loving God, which leads to the third question quickly. Is God a loving God or an angry God? See, the idea of God being a loving God is pretty new, actually, in history. Nobody thought Zeus was a loving God or Molech. This whole idea of uh, God being a God of love is pretty new, and you know where it started? With this group in Israel. And then was just propelled exponentially by Jesus in the New Testament. And so when, when we have this idea sometimes, well, I like the God of the New Testament because he's so full of grace, but the God of the Old Testament kind of scares me a little bit. We need to stop and remind ourselves that Jesus, who talks so much about God's love, gives us all his information from the Old Testament in which we get our first command. Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so it's just amazing right off the bat that God would want us to love him the creator of everything. And so again, it gets back to this whole business. The way we get mad and the way God gets mad are two different things. That's why James says, be slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. We get mad, we start thinking things like, you hurt me, I want to hurt you back. God doesn't do that. When we get mad, we start, we're the victim. I'm superior. We start picking sides and we get people on the phone and text and agree with us, Right? Because, you know, we need sympathy. That's why anger is so dangerous, and that's why we hold on to it, because we like it. We like the feeling of being in charge and all that kind of stuff. It's not good. I told you a couple weeks ago that we love to play golf. And if you play golf with Jim Kane and his circle, uh, we play something that uh, we just introduced Jeremy to a couple weeks ago. Eric actually put the title to it 28 years ago. It's called a Jimmy Gimme. And everybody loves a Jimmy Gimme. Now, we had a controversial Jimmy Gimme a couple weeks ago with Eric uh, when him and I tied. He's a cheater. I'll tell you about that another day. But anyway, here's how the Jimmy Gimme works. If you're on the green and you putt and you get within a putter from the hole this far, I, it's a Jimmy Gimme. You pick it up. People love that. And you know why I decided that years ago? Because nine out of ten times the guy's going to hit that putt. So just give it to him because if you make him putt it and he misses it that one time out of ten, 
He burns with anger on the inside. He, sometimes they pick the club up, break it over the knee like it's the club's fault, or they'll poke you in the face with their finger and call you all kinds of nasty things because we get crazy when we get mad. God does not do that. He never loses it. He loves when he gets mad. The connection is always with love, which is just it's amazing. That's why I preach. In fact, C.S. Lewis says this, anger is the fluid that love bleeds when you cut it. Isn't that good? That's God. Now, of course, we get mad at things we shouldn't, but one of the ways that, uh, that goes on with us, uh, I'm seeing more and more of it today, is we don't get mad when we should. I'm almost done, so hang in there. When Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, be angry and sin not in the Greek, that's an imperative, it's a command. Be angry. There are times when you and I should be righteously mad, and we're in those times. When God's Word is misrepresented, we ought to burn with anger. And I have never in my lifetime seen His Word misrepresented to now. In an effort to make sure that we tolerate everything, in an effort to make sure that we get to sin the way we want to, in an effort to make sure nobody gets their feelings hurt, in an effort to be politically correct, we have so misused the Word of God in this in the society right now, and that ought to steam us. The Bible says in the end days, things that are good will be called evil, and things that are evil will be called good, and we're there. And we need to lovingly stand up against that. When your family is abused or mistreated, you should be righteously mad, Paul says. Don't give the devil a foothold, and don't let the sun go down on your anger. What's that mean? We've talked about that before. You, you got a snowball on top of the hill, you deal with it while it's up there because if you let it roll down the hill, what happens? It picks up sticks and rocks and leaves and things. It gets real big. That's what happens with their anger. So you deal with it quickly, but you take care of it. Not long ago, Angie and I, <clears throat> we got home from work and we had a freebie. You know, free night. We got nothing going on. No ball games, no nothing. Nothing at church. And on those nights, Angie, she's a sweetie, you know that. She cooks me dinner, and I sit and watch Gunsmoke. <laughs> oh, it's so wonderful, especially if they're at Delmonico's eating. So they're eating, and I'm eating with them. I just absolutely love that. This particular night, uh, dinner's about ready. She always, she always says, five minutes. I've got five minutes to get my tray and all that kind of stuff. And she said, but honey, before you eat, would you take uh, the stuff, your stuff, off the counter in the sunroom out to the garage? Now, by way of disclaimer, the stuff on the sunroom that needed to go to the garage had been there for two and a half weeks, and she'd asked me several times to do it. But how dare her ask me right before dinner? I'd had a bad day. Now, how do you think that hit me on the inside? Do you think I'm thinking, well, that precious woman is cooking my dinner. She worked all day, too, and she's going to clean up my dinner. And by the way, she's doing laundry at the same time. But now she just wants me to pick that stuff up that I should have done before anyway. Do you think I was thinking that? No, I was burning I don't want to do that. You know what I did? Nothing. Ate my dinner. She said nothing more about it. Went about the evening, went to bed. The next morning, God laid it on me. <laughs> and I got to thinking about it. I, I got up right then and took my stuff out to the garage. And then I went in and gave her a hug. And I said, you know what? I'm sorry about last night. I should have done that. I was just an idiot. And she said, yes, you were. <laughs> she did, actually. God has given us something that we can deal with, with our anger. He invented it. It's called forgiveness. It's amazing. Because whatever you're mad at, 
whoever you're mad at, whatever you're mad about, if he's mad at you or you're mad at him, you can bring it to the cross of Jesus Christ. And at the cross of Jesus Christ, God's anger against sin met up with God's love for the sinner. And there was an explosion of grace like I don't even know how to describe. That's why we celebrate the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. He's slow to anger and abounding in the love of Jesus Christ. So, I don't know what you prayed about early on today, but I take this cup this morning and give him all the praise and all the glory and thank him. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, please come and talk to me.